Well, good morning, church. Uh, today's a special day for, for us here. You know, we've been studying the Gospel of John, and so what we've decided, uh, now that our team from, from our Kenya team has had some time to catch up, recover from jet lag, and uh, really think about uh, the trip as a whole, uh, we wanted the opportunity uh, this morning to share with everyone, because there are so many of you who invested in uh, our ability to even go on this trip as a team and have prayed for us and have uh, been a part of the process with us. And so what we wanted to do is come back and offer some encouraging words uh, to, sh- to share with you what, what we experienced and how we saw God at work uh, in Africa. But uh, be gracious this morning because we have some people who have volunteered to speak who normally would never do that. So they're going to come up and kind of share about some specific topics. But before we do that, I would ask, because we're not going to ask the whole team to come up here and stand up here the whole time, but I would ask if you were on the Kenya team, if you would stand up, please. So for those of, those of you who are around, uh, these are the people that went on the trip. And so those who speak this morning are speaking on behalf of them. Uh, we, there was no way for us to get every single person up here to share, but uh, these are the people that went, that have uh, benefited from your sacrifice, from your prayer, and have uh, seen God at work. So that's the, that's the Kenya team. But So the way we'll kind of go through, we kind of identified some certain aspects of the trip that we wanted to share with the church. Uh, the first of that uh, I will actually be speaking about, it's, uh, it's a place called Mwihangiri, is how you pronounce it. The hit, let me give you a brief history. 2007, uh, Kenya had a presidential election, and basically there was a lot of corruption. The guy that won didn't actually win, and so there was a lot of post-election violence between two tribal peoples. Uh, the guy that is still currently their president, uh, he cheated, and his tribe cheated uh, as far as up in the government. But you had, you know, common citizens who were of that tribe that were impacted by that because what happened is the guy who was cheated out of the position, his tribal people attacked his, that guy's tribe. And so these people that we, came, that we got to spend time with, uh, their homes were burned. Uh, some of them were killed. Uh, and that was not out of the ordinary uh, for this situation. They were uh, one of several different people uh, groups that were at one point herded into just this large yard while the government tried to figure out what to do with them. By the time we got there, our first trip, Nally and I went in 2014, Naomi's Village, the organization that we went through, and you'll hear more about today, actually stumbled across the, these people. Uh, Just before 2014, the president made a big deal, made a big show where he flew in on his helicopter and he gave about $2,000 per family uh, to every single what they call IDP, uh, internally displaced people's camps. And so they picked out families and said, here's $2,000, get you back on your feet. But it was only done along the intercontinental highway because if they were off the highway, nobody really saw them anyway. Naomi's village was on a field trip one day and got lost and were bumping along and they saw that they had some tents up 
And so some of the kids, knowing that the president had declared there are no more refugees, everybody should have permanent housing now, the kids at Naomi's Village were asking questions, why are they still living in tents? That doesn't make any sense. And so they stopped and asked. And what they got to share with uh, Pastor Boniface, who was a guy that we spent a lot of time with while we were there, was that they actually saw the president fly in on his helicopter. And they heard about how he was giving out money, but then he flew away. And he didn't come visit them. And so to them, it was literally they were seeing their future, their hopes flying away. And so they named their village Mui Hangiri, which in Swahili means those who fend for themselves. And so they took it upon themselves, and as a group of 24 families, they saved up money, and they bought a piece of land. And that's the land that they're still on today, that they're living on. Let me fast forward now to 2014, when we and Natalie went. They, uh, Naomi's village had been able to save up enough money to start building project for them. These people, 24 families, said, we don't want houses yet. We want a place of worship. So you can imagine the impact that would have had on our team when we go and we see that they're living in tattered tents that they've been living in at that point for six years. They've been forgotten. Their crops at that point, they have two seasons. They have rainy season and dry season. And the rainy season had just completed, but it wasn't as rainy as what they needed their primary source of income and food is the crops that they grow, and it was not pretty. So we got there, and the church basically was complete. It had a roof. It had four walls. They wanted a place of worship before they wanted homes. So we got to worship with them uh, two years ago and hear their story, and we got to witness people who were joyful and who trusted in God to provide for them. They had no other means. Now we get to 2016 where our team got to meet them. And God has been faithful. They, uh, their crops, I mean, we, we pull up and Natalie and I were like, this can't be the same place. I mean, there's corn everywhere. Everything's green. They've got chickens and roosters running all around. Um, goats, they've got some donkeys, which shows you that they were able to raise up some money and buy some things to help them. These are, these are ways that people there would make money in rural Africa. Uh, but even still, we got to worship with them that morning, still joyous, still thankful, even more so trusting in the faithfulness of God. They came along a problem with the land that they bought. They couldn't subdivide it among the 24 families. It wasn't big enough. Well, they were able to save up money and buy an adjacent property that was big enough. And, I mean, literally the day we left, they were waiting on the architectural plans to be approved so that they could build permanent housing. Uh, and that's what we got to experience with this group of people. They, uh, they got to share their story with our team. Uh, it was one of those stories that I, I tried as best as I could not to share as much about it that I already knew because I wanted, to hear, I wanted them to hear it from Grace, uh, who is the, the vice chairman of their village. But uh, the church was complete. Uh, they have now upgraded their, their living standards. They are no longer in tents. They lived in tents for a total of seven years. They are now uh, living in sheet metal homes 
which is good. <laughs> I know we may think of it, and you may see some pictures and think, oh, my, poor them. That's a good place to live because it's not uh, subject to winds blowing it down, and it's a little bit more stable for them. Looking ahead, by the time, hopefully, that Natalie and I get to go, Lord willing, in 2018, uh, permanent housing should be complete. What, I, what we saw, and this is the impact that had on me, uh, number one, God is good. He is so good. Uh, he is good all the time. All the time, God is good because that is his nature. Wow. Uh, and he is faithful. And that's, we got to experience that, and we got to share that knowledge with another group of people who could share that with us. And that was the, that was the thing we went, and you'll hear us talk about it. Uh, if, you, if you talk to somebody from the team, we weren't going to do things. That's not what this trip was. We're going to learn. Because what we know and what we got to see is that God is at work there just like he is here. God wasn't depending upon us to go do something there so that he could be seen. He's been showing himself there ever since the creation of all things. His invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. He is active there just like he is here. And so we got to be encouraged by our, our brothers and sisters at Mwihangiri. The second thing that, that really for me was the takeaway, and, that, and it came that first day, was that the empowerment model of ministry it is a process about helping people. It is not a project to produce a product. So let me distinguish that. Naomi's village didn't go in there and build a house so that they could have, they didn't have a building project so that they could have homes and then leave it, leave it there. Naomi's village went in and said, what do you need? And they identified with the needs of the people. They said, well, we don't need homes. First, we need a church building. That's what we need first. And so Naomi's village worked with them. Then they identified there, there needs to be a source of water. So they, have, they were able to work with them with water. There was a, we need to know how to grow these crops better. And so they worked with them all these different ways to a point today where they're almost completely self-sustainable. But it was a process. It wasn't go in, quick fix, and then walk away and everything's good. And it's effective. That was encouraging to see that after two years, how far have they come to the point where Naomi's Village is almost out of the picture, just a, a friend organization that they may be able to refer somebody else to one day. Because these people, by the grace of God, Naomi's Village stumbled across them one day. And they didn't turn away from them. They didn't neglect them and say, oh, well, they're in tough shape, but we have our own project going on. We don't have the capacity to worry about them. They stopped, they asked questions, and they partnered with them. And I say that because I think what we're going to see as a result of this trip is our whole team is already rethinking how we do outreach in our community. How are we serving our community? Are we doing it in a way that actually hurts them long term? Are we just going in and trying to do projects and events? Or are we looking at a process of developing our community and helping them permanently? All that to show that God is faithful and that God is at work, and we're displaying his attributes in doing so. So that was Mui Hangiri. That was uh, a group of people that are special to us 
all of us now. Very special to us before we went um, for me and Natalie. And uh, I'm, I was really, I got to preach there again. Uh, this is another point, almost self-sustainable. Last time we were there, uh, they had a young man. They got a church building, right? But they didn't have a pastor. And they had a young man step up and say, hey, I want to pursue education so that I can be the pastor for my people. It wasn't some hiring somebody from the outside coming in. And one of our students uh, from Central went home, and he raised some money to help to get this guy started to go to seminary. And while we were there, they still call him. He's Peter. He's the pastor in training. He's got one year left of seminary. And now this guy is going to be able to be their pastor. You see, like, this is all coming from within, and God is saying, you aren't alone. I know the government didn't see you, but I see you, and I care about you. And uh, it was really encouraging for us as a team. So next, I'll ask Heather to come up, and she's going to talk about another ministry that we got to be exposed to. Okay, y'all bear me a little bit. Um, I don't come up here as much as David, so I've got my papers. Um, so what I'm going to be talking about is Ubuntu. Um, so we visited Ubuntu Made on Monday, um, and we didn't really have that much time to kind of sit there and talk. Um, so I went online and kind of got a good background of what it really is. Um, Ubuntu was actually made um, with Zane and Jeremiah. Um, so they wanted to kind of start a different way of thinking in Kenya. They wanted to really empower the people. Um, so Ubuntu provides community impact through pediatric health and education programs. Um, their model is to create a new cycle of livelihood between social businesses and nonprofit growth. The earned and charitable income from Ubuntu Made, which I'm going to talk about a little bit, um, and Ubuntu Tribe feeds directly into the well-being of our social impact initiatives. So Ubuntu Made was kind of what we got to experience. That was the jewelry. Um, it's a bracelet I'm wearing. This is the necklace that I'm wearing. Um, a few people brought gifts back, so I think you might have this same necklace. Um, so it's a line of products that are handcrafted by um, the moms in Kenya, and they're trying to connect it to people all around the world. Um, they said that when they began working in Kenya, they listened to the needs of the community. Um, so they needed a way to actually sustain themselves. They didn't, like David was talking about, they just need a handout. They didn't need that. They needed a way to actually sustain their family and provide for them. So Ubuntu Made was created and inspired to meet the sustaining needs of the Ubuntu School, which we kind of briefly got to see, which was across the way. Um, it's a school for special needs children. So Ubuntu Made is... Um, was made to employ the mothers of the students so that they were able to earn an income for their family and pay for the school fees. So each time that you purchase um, some type of jewelry that they made, you're participating in the unique collaboration that is creating jobs and vibrancy within a community of a developing country. So Ubuntu Made is kind of like a sisterhood formed with a unique journey from desperation to empowerment. Um, so they're able to design their own jewelry um, People are actually buying these. Um, like I said, we all bought jewelry there. Um, through the vibrant culture of their work environment, the moms have not only learned a skill that allows them to the, thrive in their communi community, but they also have the opportunity to use their income to start local businesses with their families, create savings accounts, buy land, 
by homes and send their kids to school. Um, another thing that they were talking about there was relationships. They had older women there that kind of felt like that they didn't really have any place in the community, like they were just kind of being shunned. Um, but with the relationships with the younger moms, they were able to actually kind of give a lot of their um, insights and the way that they did things to the younger generation. And the, gen the younger generation was able to give kind of new way of doing things to the older women as well. So relationships were formed and each person was empowered. Um, so that was really what they wanted to uh, kind of bring about was the emp empowerment part of it. Um, and the answer for them was the fashion line. Um, it was initially imagined to create jobs for the mothers of the special needs children. Um, and Ubuntu actually is a South African word that means I am because we are. And it has been the core of the organization from the beginning. And it's all about interconnectedness and meaningful relationships. And it's a perfect word to unite the community. Um, so for us, we were actually given the ability to view such a great empowerment model um, that we kind of read about and went helping Hertz prior to our journey to Kenya. Um, so through Ubuntu Made, these mothers were given the ability to learn a trade and provide for their families. So it's giving them a sense of dignity and integrity that they had not had before. Um, God created each one of us to be in his image, and he wants us all to obtain our full potential. So this type of empowerment is something that I believe our community needs as well. Um, so I look forward to kind of seeing what God uses us to do in our community to bring about this empowerment model. So, and then Grace will be coming up to speak after me. Good morning. I'm really nervous, so I'm just going to say that before we start. So I'm going to talk about the women's prison. Um, it, we went to the women's prison Tuesday uh, afternoon. It was only the girls that went on the trip that went to the women's prison. Um, it was kind of weird going in because you went in and you, went, you had to go through like two different kind of security things to be able to get in. And it wasn't like super locked down. Like they had a school, I, I think, was it a school? It was a school. There was a school like this way on the road and then there was a prison that way. So um, we think that the school was for the kids that, because like, okay. So if a parent goes to prison, their kid has to go to prison with them. Um, so that's like, they can't like take them and put them in foster care or anything. So they take their children with them to school. So school here, prison here, kids walk to school and then walk back to the prison. Um, so we got to the prison and we had to wait outside for a few minutes because the women were eating lunch at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so we went in and the lady let us in the door. We sat down with them and we, put, we, we went so we could put supplies down and give them the supplies that they needed um, and to fellowship with them. And so we, uh, we sat down, put our stuff down and when we walked in, they were singing and they were like worshiping together. Um, they were dancing. It didn't look like a prison at all. Like, I've never been inside like a real prison, but I guarantee you it doesn't look like how it looked there. Um, so we sat down and we were just watching them as they were dancing and singing and clapping. And um, I noticed that there was a few ladies that they didn't really look like they wanted to be there. 
they kind of sat off to the side. They didn't really like get up or dance or anything, but they, they were doing like circles in the floor. They were like, what is that thing called where you dance around? You have like hold on to the hips and you go around in a circle. They were like clapping and dancing. It was, yeah, they were doing all that. And we were just, I was like, what is going on? And so um, the lady that was like runner, uh, I don't know, she like organized the, us coming or something. She talked and she talked to them about why we were there. And um, Natalie got to share a few verses of like empowering and encouraging them while they were there. Um, and then we had one of ours, we had Heather pray for them. And then we had one of their ladies in the prison pray for us. It was a really long prayer. It was, it was like eight minutes, nine minutes, something like that. But it was like, you could definitely feel that she was praying really hardcore for us, um, which was awesome. I, I just, I, I couldn't believe that she would pray that long for people she had no idea why we were there, really. Um, so we got up and we clapped and danced and sang with them. We had no idea what we were singing because they were singing in Swahili. So we just kind of, you know, and clapped and danced. Um, but afterwards, we, um, we got up and we told them bye and everything. And we went out and we went behind the prison. And they have chickens and goats and a cow there. And it's just like they're all tied up, like right there in the back of the prison. And the lady was telling us that that was their, like, a group before us had brought that for them. And it's kind of their way of, um, like, teaching them to provide for their families and, like, get the goat, the cow milk, the chickens and everything. So they were providing for their families, and they were teaching them and empowering them that way. And um, then we saw that, and we went in, and we got some fruit. They, like, gave us their, like, high-end fruit. It was really good fruit. And um, we were so thankful that um, Melissa, Melissa was thankful. She just couldn't help but bleed everywhere. So um, that was our way of saying thank you. And they were really helpful in that moment. And then um, Shelby was thankful by almost throwing up. She was crying. She was so thankful. Uh, so we were really appreciative of what, like, what, what they did because they like had fruit like all over the tables for us. They were like sitting with bowls so we could wash our hands and they were, they were treating us really nice. So um, I just thought it was really awesome to see that um, even at their worst, like they're in for like hard crimes. And even then they still are faithful to worship and to praise God through everything. And like, they don't feel like responsible for like having their kids there. Like they feel a little responsible, but it's not like, they hate themselves for bringing their kids into this. They're, le they're like worshiping with their kids and they're in a prison. I, I just, it's just crazy. So that's all I'm gonna say about a women's prison. Thank you. I'm gonna get Amber to come up here. Hi. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about Naomi's Village, which was pretty much the, the kind of the HQ of what we, where we were all week. Um, all the ministries and all the different things that we went through um, kind of started, maybe not started, but we did it through Naomi's Village. So everywhere we went, we were kind of representing um, Naomi's Village wherever we went. 
um, basically, Naomi's Village is a children's home for orphans. Um, and before I go any further, I kind of want to preface with this. Um, while we were there, I mean, you can Google this too, we learned that there's 2.6 million orphans in Kenya, and that's a recent statistic. So that's one every two minutes. So every two minutes, a child is becoming an orphan in Kenya. Um, the people who started Naomi's Village, Bob and Julie, they're actually from Texas. Um, they heard of this crisis, orphan crisis going on in Kenya, um, and I mean, they felt called to do something about it, so they started this home called Naomi's Village. Um, the majority of the kids there are true orphans, meaning that either their parents have um, passed away or they've been completely abandoned. Um, some of the stories, which if you go on their website, they have blogs, and a lot of them have like the stories of the kids, which are, I recommend everyone go read those when you have a chance. Um, but like some of them, kids were abandoned. Like one, one baby was like still with the placenta um, when he was found. Um, some kids were orphaned due to like domestic violence situations, um, and that's how they became orphans. So there's a lot of different um, stories and backgrounds of these kids, but pretty much all of them are pretty tragic. Um, <clears throat> trying to follow my outline so I don't forget anything. Um, some of the logistics of what they do there, the kids live there, that's their home. Um, they are fed well. Um, they are provided a good education, which they'll talk about the school cornerstone um, after me. Um, and also another cool thing that um, we found out that they did, the kids actually get to go and do outreach ministries as well. So not only are the staff and everything of Naomi's Village ministering to the kids, the kids are getting to minister to the, other, to the rest of the community. So I think they do that once a week. They go out and they minister and do different outreach things for the community, which we thought was really cool. Um, another thing about their staff, one question that I had, it was about the school and the staff of Naomi's Village, was um, like, is a requirement for the staff to be a Christian? Because I mean, it's a Christian organization, like, everyone knows what they stand for, so I was just kind of wondering. And Pastor Boniface, uh, who Dave was talking about, said that that's not a requirement. In fact, that they kind of welcome people who aren't Christians because that's just another way for them to minister to people, which kind of blew my mind because, which is something we've said all, the whole week we were there, is like, they've literally, literally thought of, like, everything. Like, they're ministering to kids, the kids are ministering to uh, the community, they're ministering to the staff. Like, just there's so many different facets of this organization. It's it's mind blowing, really. Um, okay, back to Naomi's Village. Um, right now, they have about 65 kids, 65 um, orphans, um, and they're what's the word? They they are prepared for um, 100. So just as they kind of hear or hear stories or go out in the community and see things they're able to I mean it's probably a long process but they bring them in so they have <clears throat> they have room for a hundred and then as they get older and move out they'll bring in more um, while we were there we actually got to see um, an experience like a kid being brought in her name was Evelyn she was abandoned by her mother um, and it was a huge celebration. There'll be some pictures on the slideshow. Um, 
but like the kids are so excited. They're clapping, they're dancing, there's cake. Like it's a huge celebration because she came home. And before she came, like we were kind of asking the kids, because you could tell they were excited. They got out of school early and everything. I was like, what's happening? And they're like, our sister's coming home. So it was just really cool to see like, they're all brothers and sisters. Um, and that's how they're being brought up. Um, <clears throat> and the whole point of Naomi's Village, I'll end on this. Um, well, because first, when I think of orphanages, I think of, okay, they need to be adopted. They need to be brought to another place where they can be, have a family and be cared for. Um, but Naomi's Village kind of has a different take on that. They want these kids to grow up to be leaders in Kenya. Um, so they're raising them, you know, with like the best education they can give. They're spiritually ministering to them, phys- physically, I mean, taking care of their needs. Um, and they want them to be leaders in Kenya so they can be advocates for orphans, advocates for um, peace, like among the corruptness, um, advocates for... I mean, because some of them are orphaned by domestic violence, AIDS. So they want them to grow up and be advocates for these things, you know. Um, and kind of with that, because David want us, wanted us to share kind of like the impact it had on us. <coughs> and like I said, like to me, orphanages, orphanages are for like for adoption. Um, and adoption, me and Josh, has it's always been on our heart. And so that's really the, like, I kind of had tunnel vision. Like, that's the only option, like, adoption and care for orphans. That's the only thing you can do. Um, so it kind of opened my eyes that there's other things that I can be doing. I mean, we do eventually want to adopt because there are those needs out there. But, um, I mean, that's going to be in the future. That's not, like, right now. So my biggest takeaway was what can I do right now? <clears throat> um, I found out that we can sponsor, and I think Natalie will talk about that later. We can sponsor kids. Um, financially, prayerfully, form a relationship. Um, and that also kind of reminded me about the service we had maybe a month or two ago. We were talking about um, the orphan crisis right here in Louisiana. Kind of reminded me about that and, like, what we can do for that. Um, foster care is a big need here. Um, adoption is a big need right right here in our community. Um, so that just kind of opened my eyes and reminded me that there's an orphan crisis in Kenya, but there's also an orphan crisis right here. And while I might not be able to do much for the orphans in Kenya right now besides sponsor and prayer, there's things I can do for the orphans here. Um, so that was my, my biggest takeaway for that. Um, and if you're interested, um, I'm sure there's plenty of websites and information if you're interested in the orphans right here. So. I think Dee is going to come next and talk about the school cornerstone. Hello, my name is Dee Dee, and I don't like public speaking, but I figured this is important, and so I should share what I've learned. Um, I kind of just want to start off with, like, Kenya is a whole experience through the fundraising um, through the training has just been really great. And so just thank you for supporting us, if that was you, for going. Um, I think all of us kind of have a new perspective on things, um, especially when it comes to missions in Africa, <laughs> of 
what I expected Africa to be and what my mom expected <laughs> Africa to be. Um, I think my mom thought we would probably not bathe the whole time we were there and maybe not eat and maybe just scra like scavenge around and become wild people. I don't know. Um, you have all kinds of different parts of Africa. You have, like, Nairobi was very westernized. Wasn't that different from what you'd see in America. Um, and then where we were, where it was more rural, um, just you see agriculture, which we see agriculture here. So just my idea of what Africa was about has changed. Um, so now that we're back, we're kind of like processing what we've learned and what we're gonna do here. Cause David and Natalie made it very clear, like this isn't just about going and saying, I went to Africa and it was awesome. It's about what are we gonna do once we're back? Like how are we gonna change this community for the better? Um, so I'm gonna talk about Cornerstone. Cornerstone is the school and uh, that partners with Naomi's Village. Um, I really, I'm not really sure how it all kind of came about. Um, I know Naomi's Village had their own school, it's like a four-classroom school, where the their, the orphanage kids, they went to that school, and I think they kind of just saw, you know, through them being loved and provided for spiritually, provided for with nutrition, and then having good schooling, they saw how much they improved. And so they just kind of had that dream of, well, what does that look like if we bring it to the community? And so, they started classes in this brand new building in January. Um, they brought us by on the tour what a normal Kenyan school would look like. And when you look at that compared to Cornerstone, you kind of can definitely tell the difference, I'll just say that. Um, the size of Cornerstone, the way Cornerstone looks, the supplies that they're going to have, what they're gonna be doing there, um, is leaps and bounds beyond the regular Kenyan public school. And that's not to degrade what they have. Um, you know, it, it kind of raised the question of, well, why not just do what they usually do, what Kenyans usually do? Why spend so much money on something that looks so different? And they kind of want to change the mentality of the students. They want them to expect great things. They don't want them to just settle for just okay. You know, they want them to go above and beyond to realize that they have dreams and a purpose that they can pursue. Um, and so another thing is regular Kenyan schools only provide one meal a day. And they said it's rice and beans almost every day. And at Naomi's Village, I mean at um, Cornerstone, they provide breakfast and lunch. And they said if you were to look at the kids before January and then look at them now, it's like a total difference just nutrition-wise. And I mean, how many times do we get the speech, make sure you give your kids a good breakfast before testing, or you know, make sure your kids are eating well because that contributes to their learning. And so that's kind of an important factor was nutrition. It wasn't just about education. Um, the process to get in to Cornerstone, they do two evaluations. So they have a team of social workers and they kind of go in and assess the poverty, I guess, level, I don't really know what to call it. Um, they're about empowering, so it's not about helping someone do something that they can do for themselves. If that family can afford to send their kid to school, then they need to send their kid to school. They need to pay for that and send their kid to school. If that family can't, then they, I guess, pass. I don't know, I don't know if that's what you'd want to call it. Um, and they kind of go to round two where they do like a basic skill level test of, you know, kind of where they are. Um, since it's a new school, 
they don't really have what they need to provide for kids with disabilities, or if the kids are too far behind, they don't have what they need to help those kids get caught up. So they kind of gave them a basic test of, I guess, knowledge and what they know to see if they can survive and thrive at Cornerstone. Um, so every child there goes off sponsorships, which Natalie will talk about sponsorships later. Um, these kids work really hard. They left Naomi's village, I think, at like at 6.15 every morning. They go to school. They eat breakfast. They go to class. They have lunch. They have some breaks. They have chapel time. Um, they have time to go outside and play outside, but they don't really leave Naomi's village to what, like, I mean, uh, Cornerstone till like, 5. That's a really long school day. I mean, could you imagine how many kids would have complained about being at school till 5 o'clock in the afternoon? They come home. They eat. They shower. And then they do homework until 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, maybe even later. We don't know. Because we would go in to do devotionals with them, and they're still doing homework. So these kids work really hard, and they really, really, truly are grateful for the education that they're getting. Like, they, they know that this is a gift for them, and they're taking really full advantage of it. Um, we got told many stats about education in Kenya. The one that really stuck out to me was in eighth grade, they take a test. We all have to take a test in eighth grade in the States, and it determines whether or not you go to ninth grade, but if you fail, they're not gonna just kick you out of school. You know, you get to either retake eighth grade, or maybe you go to ninth grade, you get put in remedial classes. There's different things that they do. In Kenya, if you don't make a high enough score on your eighth grade test, you don't get asked to go to high school. So like the highest education that you're gonna have at best for most is eighth grade, eighth grade. So that's like saying, and that's less than 50% of eighth graders continue on to high school. So that would be like all of you eighth grade at best, and then y'all will have the opportunity to go to high school, and it'd be mostly males, because their role for girls a lot of times is staying at home and taking care of chores and stuff like that. Um, and that just kind of like blew my mind, because I realized just truly, and I'm not trying to like sound like that person, but we truly, truly are blessed to have the education we have here. Um, and I teach, I teach high school, I teach art, and I see kids oftentimes come through who just don't care, and they just don't take advantage. So now that I've seen what I've seen over there, and I'm here, my goal is to <laughs> tell them the story and beat it into their heads and make them do the work so they pass <laughs> and graduate. Um, Cornerstone has a lot of future goals. They are on a 24-acre land, a lot of land. Um, they hope to expand. They hope to have a middle school and a high school one day. They hope to have a playground, soccer fields, a gym. What you would picture a typical school here is what they hope to have for them there one day. Um, they're not really sure years or anything, or it's just dreams right now. Um, so I guess my, my response to Cornerstone would be, I hope to talk to the faculty at SHS. I'm going to talk to the principal and see if maybe at the beginning of the year I can come and just kind of talk about Naomi's Village and Cornerstone to them. Maybe they can get involved, either get their classrooms involved, or if they want to sponsor, they can sponsor. Um, I hope to do something with my students. I teach art, so my curriculum is um, flexible. And so I was thinking maybe doing something where getting them to write letters to all the kids. You know, I, have, I teach over 100 kids. 
I could easily assign one kid from Cornerstone to one kid in my classroom and get them to write letters and to respond. And hopefully that communication will open up their eyes and kind of broaden their horizons a little bit. Um, and then for personal, it's just kind of a confirmation of fostering and adopting. Um, not saying, not knowing when or what that really <laughs> looks like, um, but just realizing like you can bond with a child that doesn't look like you. You know, the fear of, you know, well, I know what to do. I've never had kids, so <laughs> probably not. I guess no parent really does. Um, you know, not knowing what to do or, you know, how do I help this person? I know nothing about them. You know, I can't even relate to them as saying, like, oh, they're like me or they're like my husband. I can relate to them this way. So it's, I guess there's a lot of fears and questions that come with fostering and adopting. And I just kind of had a piece about what that looks like for us. So I don't know who's next. Melissa. Hey guys, I'm Melissa, and I'm really nervous. So I'm probably gonna say like a lot, I'm probably gonna cry, and I might stutter a bit. So I'm gonna talk about something that really affected our whole team. Um, we went to Cornerstone, and we got to hear these kids' stories who don't go to Naomi's Village, they live in the city, um, and they're a part of the community. And then we go into this room with them, which is gonna be their library, and they have chapel on Wednesdays. So we go there, and Phil, Rachel, and Grace are leading the kids in songs, and then I'm doing like the words on the screen. And we get to the song, Never Once, and um, I mean, I listen to the lyrics a lot in music anyway, because I just like do. And that song has never impacted me the way that those kids sang it impacted me. And um, it really um, was humbling to see how like these kids don't have anything. And they're saying like, God, you're faithful. And I have a video that I'm gonna play and Kaylee's gonna play it because I'm starting to cry, so. So that was just the chorus of it, and we were with them through, like, that was just the most impactful song for, like, it impacted everyone on our team. Like, they are, you can't really tell how loud it was, but they were very loud singing that song, and it was just very eye-opening and humbling to see, like, 
what they go through. And so it was, like, kind of, like, I suck. Like, my faith sucks compared to theirs. Like, they have nothing, like, com- like in comparison to all the things that I have. Like, it was just very emotional. And then that caused me to... Um, I had been praying about it. We went through poverty simulation, and we found out about, like, how you can sponsor kids at Poverty Sim. And so one of the days, Amber led rec at Cornerstone, and we had a group of kids. And Natalie's going to talk about more sponsorship, but I'm just going to talk about it a little bit because it kind of goes with what I was called to do while I was there. So we had groups of, like, nine or ten in our group, um, and I only had nine, so I played with the games with them. And um, so I got to meet, like, all the kids in my row, and I learned all their names and stuff. Well, whenever we found out about, like, sponsorship and stuff, I looked on the website, and I went through all the kids that were in my group. And out of the nine, six of them were sponsored, and three weren't. Like, six of them were fully sponsored, and three of them weren't sponsored either at all, or they were hardly sponsored. So Amber and Josh had Jonah. They got him, and he was in my group. So then I was like, okay, that's cool. Then I was kind of looking at my, like, budget because I have a job. And I was trying to see how that, like, fits in with college because college is expensive. So um, I was, like, freaking out. I was like, I want to sponsor both of these kids, but I can't because I – I don't have a real job. (laughs) And then I was kind of like, this stinks. Well, then I'm like, I'm just going to text all my friends. And surely one of them is going to be like, I'll do it. So then I text Kaylee. She's back there doing media for me. And um, I was like, pray about it. But let me know about a night. (laughs) So then... Um, we had an opportunity to, um, oh, she said yes. <laughs> and so we're sponsoring two little boys who are best friends, and it's cool because we're, like, best friends. And um, I had the opportunity to go meet them, and Natalie's going to talk more about that, so I don't want to get into that. But this song kind of, like, led me to do that because I see how much, like, education impacts these kids. Like, here it's just kind of like you can make a living off of being good at sports there you can't like David asked that question while we were there and that kind of stuck out to me like a lot of those kids are really good at soccer but they're not going to make a living off of being good at soccer they have to be like well educated and like the culture is very different and so it kind of like I mean I just graduated so it just made me realize how much I actually took school for granted when I was like in high school and middle school elementary and stuff and so um just those like I don't know just seeing how much it impacts them to be able to go to school and to be sponsored and just to have a relationship with your sponsor like both of the boys that um I met weren't sponsored at all and so they got to meet me which was like doesn't happen and um it was just really it was really eye-opening and it was an immediate like response and I knew that I had to do it I had to like obey and sponsor these two boys so you should do it too and Natalie's gonna talk next so I'm not Natalie (laughs) but uh 
what one of the things that Amber was saying earlier is that it's uh, it's a very important part of Naomi's village for the kids to be able to see uh, to to not be caught up in this bubble that is Naomi's village. They they don't want it to be that way, but they want to constantly serve the community around them. They want to be to be involved in what's going on in, in the in the local area. And so one of the one of the things that the kids do, like Amber mentioned earlier, is they every Saturday, I believe, right? They go they go into the community and they help out with different outreach projects. And it's cool because a lot of times they get the opportunity to help out in the houses of some of the kids that go to Naomi, I mean to uh, to Cornerstone Preparatory Academy. And so that was one of the things that we got to do while we were there, not with them. We went on a we went on a Thursday when they were in school. Uh, but we got the opportunity to go with Pastor Boniface and to uh, to see some of the things that are going on in the community. And so uh, the first thing that we did was we went we went to a house that uh, that didn't have uh, one of the one of the houses that that one of the kids for from Cornerstone Preparatory Academy goes to was actually failing. Like the, the foundation had failed and a lot of the, a lot of the uh, mud bricks that they used to, to build the houses had failed uh, from the house and, and had fallen down. So what they were gonna do was basically uh, mark out an area and build a new, new footings and, and a new area to, to start building a foundation for this house. And so what we got to do, what we got the opportunity to do there, and I'll, First of all, I want to preface this by saying we all understand now that, you know, if you, if you have the mindset of going into there thinking, okay, we're going to go and we're going to do something, and we're going to, we're going to try to impact these people and help these people, uh, a lot of times that's not always the best approach, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't yield the best results. I mean, we found out, a lot of us found out that, we needed some more skilled workers from, from that area to be able to come alongside of us and, and help us with this project. But uh, what we got to see was that uh, God is doing some amazing things and building some relationships with these people. So anyway, we got, we got the opportunity to go in and, and to help to, to dig out uh, a foundation for this house. And uh, basically what they were going to do after that were, was the, uh, the masonry workers, the guys that were working on a house that was pretty close to there, they were going to come in afterwards and rebuild this foundation. And, and this house was for one of the kids at, uh, at Cornerstone Preparatory Academy, uh, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the children that was, that was there at the school. And so what, the, what they were doing is basically giving them better conditions to be able to learn and to be able to flourish and uh, to help their education process. And so that was one of the things that we got to do. And uh, also another thing that we got to do for that house and for another house just down the street was to go in and to, uh, to install solar panels into this house. And so what we were doing, just a little, just a little background information on, on what happens in Kenya. The uh, electricity provider, Safaricom, uh, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll come into these, to these areas, to these poorer areas, and try to almost exploit the people. I know it's, it's difficult for us to understand because our electricity sometimes is, is much cheaper. Than, you know, it, it's pretty cheap. And, but anyway, they, what they do is they go in and they install uh, solar panels, you know, a little bit bigger solar panels than we had, but they charge a fee to install the solar panel. 
And then they charge a daily fee after that to maintain that solar, that solar panel and, and what goes on inside of the house, you know, the electricity and all of that that they, that they get from that. So basically, it puts these people into deeper poverty. It, it puts, them, puts them into a cycle that they can't get out of. So what ends up happening is they go in, they, uh, they install this system, and then it works for a little while, you know, until the people run out of money and basically can't pay for it anymore. And then it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of left where it is and the people don't have electricity anymore. Well, a lot of times what would happen is the kids would come home from school and they can do homework up to a certain time of night when it got dark. But then after that, you know, if you don't, if you don't have any electricity, you don't have any ability to, to see what you're doing, then you're not going to be able to do your homework. And so one of the kids was actually, uh, I don't know if we heard this, I think we heard this through a secondary source, but one of the kids was basically saying that, you know, sometimes, <laughs> this just amazed me, sometimes when it was like, when the moon was full, they could go outside at night and be able to, to see enough to be able to do the rest of their homework. And so this is the type of situation that we're going into. So we got the ability with obviously as an extension of Cornerstone Preparatory Academy in Naomi's Village. We didn't want to say that we were going in there specifically to, to do work on our own. We were a part of that organization. We got to go in and, and install some solar panels that would give these people the ability to, I mean, it was one light. Basically, it, it would extend into the house, and it, it had one light and then a uh, phone charging station and a few, a few other small electronic things that we would probably take for granted. But, uh, but this, was, this was in order to empower these students to be able to, to, be able to do homework and to be able to, to advance their careers uh, past their current situation. And so, uh, you know, just as I was thinking about, about Naomi's Village as a whole and, and just kind of what's, what's going on there and, and in that entire part of Africa, uh, I was really influenced by the fact that God is so big that he is empowering an entire community. Like we're seeing, we're seeing people from Naomi's village and, and the entire community outside of there, which was, this community was Longanot, by the way. It was right by, it was right by where Naomi's village and a lot of that is right there. But uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing God take something that's going on within Naomi's village and spread that to an entire community. So he's redeeming and empowering and bringing people to himself through relationships that these people build by going in and, and helping with immediate needs. But their, their entire goal is to build relationships with these people and, and to, to get to know these people better and to, to help the, to educate them and to see what's going on in their children's lives through Cornerstone Prep Academy and that, and that to, to transcend into a better lifestyle for everyone. And... It's just amazing to see that God started that by bringing people to himself from children that were left hopeless and abandoned, like children left on the side of the road, children that, that nobody wanted. God comes in and redeems that for himself, brings, brings them into Naomi's village, and then allows them to impact the community around them. So to be able to see the, the big picture of what's going on over there just absolutely amazed me. I, I think I went into the, to the Naomi, to Naomi's village with, with the mindset that, oh, they're, they're helping children and they're, they're 
bringing, you know, they're bringing these, these children uh, to be able to see who God is and, and allowing them to have education and allowing them to better themselves. But I never saw the impact. I, I, I didn't really... I didn't really think about the impact that, that had on the entire community and how they're trying to change the entire outlook of the community. And so that was something that, that was really impactful for me. And uh, just to kind of carry that home, uh, for me to, to step back and, and, I don't know, I guess kind of get off my high horse and, and not, not see it as, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to help the community and I'm going to do things on my own power, but to, to step back to see what God is already doing here and to be able to, to line up with that and to be a part of that. And also uh, that developing relationships, kind of like David was saying earlier, that developing relationships with the people around us is the priority. It's not the systems. It's not the fact that we went and helped to build a foundation for a house or install solar panels, but it was the fact that we got to develop relationships with the people as we went over there. We got to meet some very interesting people, and I think Josh and Amber actually got to, met, got to meet the parents of their kids that they're being able to sponsor. So to, to see that relationship come to a whole and, and to be able to be a part of that, uh, I just think, I think that was amazing in Kenya, and I think that that's something that we need to strive for here more, and I think that's what really impacted me. And so Natalie's gonna come up next, and she's gonna talk about sponsorship. Okay, Trent failed to mention that uh, for that second solar panel, he drew the short straw and he had to be picked up cheerleader style and put on top of a, a tin roof and almost fell through on several occasions. It was terrifying, um, but that was funny. Okay, so um, I'm gonna talk about sponsorships. They've mentioned it a lot, but um, on Thursday, we met with one of the missionaries that works at Cornerstone, and he informed us about how child sponsorships work. Um, everything that's done at Naomi's Village and Cornerstone is financed through sponsorships. Um, 100% of the sponsorship money goes to what they're doing because um, all of the missionaries are funded in other ways. So there's two separate paths, but um, we learned more about Cornerstone that day because that's the bigger need right now. The Naomi's Village kids, sorry, I was just wondering. Um, the Naomi's Village kids have been sponsored ongoing, and, um, but they still need some as well. So as a whole, um, after we heard about the opportunity to sponsor our team, what's happening? I'm just wondering. Oh, we have, okay, just wondering. Um, as a whole, our team eagerly responded when we heard about the opportunity to sponsor because we were able to see firsthand how life-changing it is for people there and um, what they're doing with these kids. So it was a no-brainer for those of us who had the financial ability to get involved. Hello, okay. <laughs> So um, after we heard this whole speech, the couple kind of split up and we were all talking about, you know, what can we do? Um, what can each of us afford? And we were looking at the kids who still needed sponsorship and discussing it. Um, 
for David and I, when, when we saw the opportunity, it was not hard for us to consider, you know, putting so much less in, in savings per month and to consider do we really need direct TV and those sorts of things because, like I said, we saw the life-changing impact um, of what a sponsorship does for someone there. So once we decided, you know, who we wanted to sponsor, um, we had the opportunity to meet them. We went to Cornerstone, I think that was the next day, I can't remember, but we went to Cornerstone and they had pulled these kids out of class and we could kind of watch the principals talking to them and we could watch their eyes light up because they were finding out I'm getting sponsored. And so then they brought them into the cafeteria and they were all so excited, but like shy, excited, like it was so cute. And so they're just kind of looking around wondering who their sponsor is. So we got to um, sit down and get to know them. Some of them spoke better English than others because, um, like, they've just started since January learning English, most of them. But um, we spent some time with them, got to know them a little bit. I want to share just a bit about um, Joseph, who Lindsay, David, and I are all partnering to sponsor. Um, he has an incredible story. It's we shared it on Facebook, so if y'all can go watch it, I would encourage you to. Um, but part of it is that he was in a home where he was severely abused. He had gotten a broken leg and a broken hand um, from abuse from his dad and his stepmom. And so he decided to run away on, a, on his bike. And um, he hopped around to many different places. But at one point, he was living with his grandfather, and he couldn't go to school because his grandfather didn't have enough money, so he had to work. And so he, his job was to shepherd a herd. And um, he was shepherding in the field and saw the construction of Cornerstone. And so he's a very persistent little kid. Hello? Oh, I don't know what's happening. Uh, every day he would go to the construction workers and say, hi, I'm Joseph, I'd like to go to your school. And, um, hello. <laughs> <laughs> he did that day, and um, eventually, when they did the intake process, they told him he could go there. And so he'd been out of school for three years, able to go back. Um, so when we asked him, we couldn't quite understand why he had run away, and we didn't know his whole story, so we asked and now, why did you run away? And he said, well, I was being beaten, and I had a broken hand and a leg. Is this? I'm going to try. Thank you, Phil. Um, I'm going to keep talking. And so when he told us about how he had been beaten so badly, he decided to run away uh, all three of us were like, oh my gosh. And he looks at us like we were dumb. He said, I'm okay. Look at me. I'm okay. And I was like, that just summarizes the way all those kids think. Thank you. 